Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Catholic Light. Thanks for joining me. On last week's episode, we talked about atheism and agnosticism. And I found over the years, whether it's parents of students I've had or um, parents, people who are friends, family friends, neighbors, parishioners, whose adult children no longer practice the faith. And um, they'll often say, you know, they were Catholic school educated, K through 12 or K through grad school. Um, You know, we brought them to mass every Sunday or X, Y, and Z. And they're often really distraught over the fact that they're children as adults no longer practice the faith. And so first, if if you find yourself in this situation, first um, I say, I repeat my dad actually, who says that it's quite mysterious. You know, you, you might have um, parents who practice the faith and are really effective at, at communicating the faith whose kids practice and then same scenario but then the adult children don't practice you might have parents who don't have any foundation in Catholicism don't necessarily bring their kids up in the faith but then the kids are very faithful very devout as adults or perhaps not so there's all different combinations we might witness or we might see personally in our, in, uh, our among our family and friends. So one, one, it's mysterious. But two, I've heard different responses to it. And, um, you know, some parents will send their children literature or links to talks or podcasts or, you know, whatever to in, in the hopes that their, their children will listen or attend the talk or, or read the literature. Um, I encountered one priest who said he advised a parent saying, you know what, you did your job and now it's up to your adult children. And that kind of left me like, hmm, that doesn't seem quite right. And so when my brother, Father Gregory, was home last week, I posed this question to him, and without skipping a beat, he said, oh, pray fast, keep vigil. I was like, what? He said, yeah, pray if you have adult children who no longer practice the faith, um, rather than trying to figure out, like, what was the cause, or how did we land here, or kind of, you know, wringing your hands. He said, pray fast, keep vigil. I was like, right, so simple, so good. And then I was like, um, remind me again, what does keep vigil mean? <laughs> Are we offering up the Saturday night, Saturday night vigil for the conversion of our children? And uh, he said, it's been a longstanding practice of the church. Um, it's in a number of um, religious orders, practices to get up in the middle of the night to pray. So you break just like when we fast, we fast from from delicious foods and delicious drinks as a reminder that these things are good, but not the ultimate good. We can, in a way, keeping vigil is in a way fasting from sleep. So breaking our nightly slumber as a reminder that it's good. It's so good to sleep. Sleep is a gift. Um, but to remember that it's it's not the ultimate thing in which we literally and figuratively rest. And so he encourages, he's received this question a number of times, and so he advises people, pray for your children, fast for your children, keep vigil for your children, whether that's you know breaking your sleep, getting up at midnight and praying for them. Um, I remember as a child, actually, my, my mom and dad had were entrusted with this, this big intention of an extended family member, and they actually did this this uh, they started at midnight and they prayed. They kind of took shifts and they did it with uh, another another couple, where they each took an hour praying for and offering up this intention. Um, so, as Father Gregory and I 
chatted about this, I thought, right, this is not just the situation of parents who are sad that their adult children no longer practice, um, but it's the case of so many spouses where what, maybe one spouse practices the Catholic faith, the other doesn't. Um, maybe one spouse used to practice the faith and has kind of moved away from it. Um, it could be, you know, a sibling, a cousin, a friend. It could be, you know, maybe something in ourself as, as we grow in our faith and draw closer to Jesus, but find like, wow, I really struggle in this one area or like, I cannot seem to let go of this one sin or attachment or whatever. Um, in the words of Father Gregory Maria Pine, OP, pray, fast, keep vigil. So offer up um, this intention, this person, and uh, not in, um, what would you say? Not in like a vindictive way, like I'm praying for your conversion or like, you know, I'm giving up X, Y, and Z food and drink this week so that you'll come to know Jesus, you know, but uh, pray, praying, prayer, fasting, and keeping vigil. What does it do? First, it, it converts us, and through our deeper conversion, and by the grace of God and our intercessory prayer, it, God willing, leads to the conversion of others. So this week, as we continue to think about these first few commandments, the, the first tablet of the two stone tablets of the Ten Commandments, which involve putting God first above all things, let's put all these intentions, if, if we find ourselves in a situation like this, maybe our, our children no longer practice the faith as adults, maybe our spouse, a sibling, a friend uh, does not practice, um, or perhaps there's something within ourselves that we just can't seem to shake or we can't seem to allow conversion to touch a certain area of our life. Let's place that before the Lord. And then let's this week pick uh, a prayer or a day or a thing, a day of fasting or a thing from which we can fast, um, or a night where we get up in the middle of the night and we pray, let's say, for five or ten minutes for this intention and just place it all before the Lord through the intercession of the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph. Amen. And you're doing great. Keep fighting the good fight. God bless you. On today's episode, we'll talk about the third commandment, which, as I may have, may have mentioned or alluded to in previous episodes, is my favorite, uh, because I think I deeply desire, I struggle with following this commandment, and yet I deeply desire to follow it more closely because it's so beautiful, it's so good, and it seems so countercultural. Uh, at this point in history, human history, where we're focused on work and efficiency and getting things done, done, done. So the third commandment, which through which God commands us to keep holy the Sabbath, involves two things. So one, resting from servile work, and two, going to Mass on Sunday or Saturday evening. If we're disposed to receive the Eucharist, that includes receiving the Eucharist. If not, if we're in a state of mortal sin or we are currently separated from the Church for some reason, God through the Church for some reason, then we still attend Mass on Sunday and we can receive a spiritual communion. So invite God into our hearts, minds, bodies, souls, spirits, lives to receive him spiritually until we can receive him physically in his body and blood, the Eucharist. Uh, the third commandment is very countercultural and I think works against that quote-unquote destination addiction of like, if I just finish this or if I just, you know, send this email or finish that text message or this online shopping or this project, this meet this work deadline, et cetera, et cetera, then I can relax. Then I can rest. Then I'll sit down and read. 
then I'll go for a run. Then I'll whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm the queen of destination, or maybe one among many queens and kings of destination addiction. Uh, currently, we're, we're getting a couple rooms in our, our house painted on the first floor. And I've been thinking for weeks, like, okay, once the living room's painted, then I can arrange the furniture, and then I can you know build those Ikea cabinets, stack away the toys, and then I will sit and relax and enjoy. How many times have I said that Um, and how many times have I not sat down to read or rest or relax or enjoy? So this is, I think, part of the human condition. Maybe it's stronger in others, some rather than others, um, that if we just do this, we just have that, we just accomplish this, then we can rest, then we can be happy. Guess what? That destination is always elusive and unless we decide right now to sit down, rest, relax, enjoy, then most likely we won't, I won't. And so this third commandment is really a great, I would say invitation, but commandment of God to me because um, it's God saying, you know, you, you have six days to work, six days to, you know, go down that to-do list, check it off, mark it off, get it accomplished. And one day out of those seven, I command you, to sit down, rest, relax, and and maybe not sit. Uh, you know, rest we often think of as as being idle, rep- in a state of repose. But it might be again reading a book, going for a run, taking a hike, um, taking a little field trip with friends or family to I don't know, like a local destination, being a tourist in your own town. So resting doesn't necessarily mean not moving or not doing anything. Um, it's as I might have mentioned on a previous episode. It's not focusing on the to-do list, but doing things that are often like the prize at the end of the to-do list. So once I accomplish X, Y, and Z, then I can dot, dot, dot. Sunday is reserved for that dot, dot, dot. Okay, things that often get pushed off, put aside in um, a spirit of accomplishing, you know, work and to-do listy type of things. I recently had this very vivid dream where I don't know what I was reading or watching or thinking about before bed that night but I in the middle of the night I I dreamt that uh, Dan and the kids and I were traveling abroad and then all of a sudden it was this like apocalyptic things were coming from the sky and in the dream Dan and I just knew uh, you know we had to like pack our bags never mind just leave the bags grab the kids we got to go and so I, I woke up in the middle of the night after having had this dream and was like huh okay thank you Jesus that that was not reality here we are in this safe, cute little town. Kids are tucked in bed, Dan's sleeping beside me. All is well. Okay, God forbid something like that happens or is about to happen, what would I be doing differently? And the first thing that came to mind, it was not like doomsday prepping or make sure you have like a bag or a suitcase by the door, but it was spend more time with Dan and the kids just being, being present to them because we never know how long not to be morbid we never know um how how much time we have left and how much time we have with these precious people in our lives and so be present rest enjoy you know be be together with with your family or the the human family the the beautiful people whom god has placed in our lives so merciful jesus may it not come to that <laughs> speaking of morbid thoughts and death and dying um i've mentioned before my my best friend Teresa. she and i uh went to see the barbie movie there's all this you know this hype so many conservative non-conservative sites are praising it decrying it and so um 
I'm actually a, a pretty big Greta Gerwig fan from um, her rendition of Little Women. Um, and so I wanted to see it, and I was really hoping that it would be great and that all the critical reviews would be wrong, uh, but I was not a fan. So there's this this quintessential moment where Barbie's in you know the middle of her dream house having this dance party, and she goes, hey, guys, did you ever think about dying? And it's like record scratches. Everyone's like, what? So stay tuned. I think Teresa and I are going to do a little little commentary on the movie on one of our one of the uh, Catholic Light podcast episodes. So stay tuned. All right. So let's move into our discussion a little more deeply of the Third Commandment. We'll look at Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2172, which says, God's action is the model for human action. If God rested and was refreshed on the seventh day, man too ought to rest and should let others, especially the poor, be refreshed. The Sabbath brings everyday work to a halt and provides a respite. It is a day of protest against the servitude of work and the worship of money. That is so good. It is a day of protest against the servitude of work and the worship of money. So first, God rests. Why? Because he was tired, because he needed a break after those six days of creating all that separating of light and dark, land and sea. Uh, No. God is God. He doesn't need to rest. He doesn't get tired. Why does God rest? To show us that we as human beings need rest, that that seventh day, six days can be used for work, and that seventh day is one for rest, rejuvenation, uh, you know, enjoying the other dimensions of, of creation apart from this work mentality. How beautiful that we believe in a God of revelation, a God who reveals himself. And he not only reveals himself to us, but he reveals us to ourselves. So he shows us here uh, what it means to be human and uh, an important dimension of our humanity. And that is one of rest. I love this line again. It's a day of protest. We live in an age where um, we've seen lots of protesting over the last few years. And this day of protest is is very countercultural to to put aside work, to put aside whether it's actually making money or things that lead to making money, the the servitude of work. We put that aside and claim, uh, this is what we're made for. This is part of our humanity. It's not all about work but it is also about resting, enjoying the beauty of creation. So if you want to do something absolutely revolutionary, keep holy the Sabbath. In keeping holy the Sabbath, we make the statement that work and money are not everything. We're made for more. And we don't just rest so that we're like recharged and refreshed to go back out and work some more. So it's not um, like a utilitarian rest, like I'm doing this to recharge my battery so I can be more effective and more efficient. But we're, the rest itself is the good. So it's, that's the end game, the end goal. Um, rest is good in and of itself. I, I can't remember if I mentioned that um, Declan and I recently started taking piano lessons. So I, I referenced in an earlier episode this book, The TechWise Family by Andy Crouch. And he talks about, he has this great chapter on um, the technological advances in music. So he talks about how, you know, we can tell Alexa to, pre- to play 
Bach or Mozart or Beethoven, and it just floods into our family room, um, you know, into our kitchen while we're preparing dinner, and it's so beautiful and so good. So what a gift. What, what a gift that this technological advance has brought. But he says one of the downsides of the technological advances in music is that um, we've become very passive. And he says uh, we see this especially in church. So uh, whereas it used to be there might have been like, I don't know, a simple piano. Now there's like a beautiful organ, finely tuned, hooked up to the sound system. And so in many churches, we find ourselves just sitting back and listening to the cantor, the organist, as though it's a performance rather than entering in and making the music together. And so after reading this book, I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to take piano lessons. And so Declan and I are currently taking piano lessons. And it really is um, just in four weeks has revolutionized our day little by little, in that he or I will sit down to practice, and it's something that the rest of the family can be, you know, doing something else, playing a card game, reading a book, just lounging, whatever. Um, And the other family members can kind of enjoy the sound, or maybe not so great sounds, not yet, (laughs) or the sounds aren't so great yet. Um, We can kind of chat while we're practicing, and I find that the, the kids can see the fruits of my and Declan's labors. So this author, Andy Crouch, also mentions in the TechWise family that because so many of us do our work on computers and phones, it's hard for our children to see the fruits of our labors, to even understand what we're doing. Like mom and dad go to work. And for example, Dan works from our home office and the kids see him on his computer, you know, hear him on his phone, but they don't really know like, and granted they're little, they don't really know like what he does or like what he's working towards. It's, it's very abstract for children when someone works, a parent works, let's say, um, via, you know technological devices like computers and phones. So with the piano, the kids can see and hear uh, what I'm working on, what Declan's working on, and see, God willing, improvement over time, see the reason for practice, um, see the benefits of practicing in that this beautiful thing is being created and perfected. And um, it's really, really a cool thing. So I say this in that um, this has become an endeavor that I'm hoping will help me keep holy the Sabbath in the resting from servile work dimension in that, you know, I don't sit down. I sit down. Our piano teacher says try to practice a half hour a day. So I sit down. That's something I can quote unquote accomplish or check off my to-do list. But it's not so neat and tidy and like, okay, I efficiently practiced the piano and now I'm done. I can check it off my list. It's no, it's like a a labor of love. Um, It's something that involves skill and also artistry, dedication, perseverance. But it's something that, um, kind of like leave space for the rest of the family to participate in it. And so this is, when I, when I think of leisurely activities for a Sunday as we keep holy the Sabbath, it might be playing the piano or working on learning another instrument. It might be going for a run or taking a walk as a family or as a couple or, or you know, whatever combination. Um, it might be painting. It might be did I already say reading? Reading. It might be relaxing, you know, sitting on the couch or sitting on a, you know, the back patio on a, a pretty Sunday afternoon. And so to to keep holy the Sabbath, to rest from servile labor, it does not mean just like sitting like a blob on the couch and eating chocolate and like not doing or thinking about anything. It could be something that's actually involves a lot of work, like practicing the piano, but something that's enjoyable and not 
again, to-do listy. The other dimension of keeping holy the Sabbath is, again, going to church on Sunday if we're in a state of grace, receiving the Eucharist, and if not, being present you know, to the community and to God in church. Again, how incredible that God commands us in addition to, hey, take a vacation one day a week. You must rest and put aside all that work. Uh, Additionally, he's telling us, hey, consume me, receive my body and blood so that we are intimately united so that I can literally feed and strengthen you and, you know, prepare you for whatever is next to come. There's this great line in our reading selection today, paragraph 2179, which talks about how there's something different about being in church. So as we keep holy the Sabbath, we rest from servile labor and we go to church. There's something different uh, for human beings who are body and soul to physically be present in a church, a consecrated sanctuary with other people worshiping the same God. So we might have felt this during COVID when churches were shut down for, I think, a couple months, and many churches, many parishes were streaming the Mass um, online. And so we would get together. I I live in the same town as, well, I now live with my dad. Our dad lives with us. Um, And then my sister is like a mile away, my sister, brother-in-law, and nieces and nephews. And so we would often get together in one of our houses. We would... I think at my sister's behest, we would we would dress up so we so it felt a little different, like this is Sunday mass, and then we would sit together in the family room or living room and watch uh, watch mass. So it was great in, in that like churches were closed, so we had something, but it was not the same as going to church. First of all, we couldn't receive the Eucharist; so that was very different. Um, and then secondly, there's something very different about passively watching mass even if we were like singing in our living room the responsorial psalm or you know saying the our father out loud together there's something different being at home versus being in church and so i really appreciated bishop robert barron through the word on fire uh, ministry he live streamed his and then had a recording of daily mass from his personal chapel i think and once churches started opening, he discontinued it. And a lot of people pushed back saying, like, you know, your preaching is so beautiful. It was so awesome to be with you, you know, remotely in Mass each day. You know, please keep it going. And he said, no, I'm going to stop it because I want you to go back to your physical physical churches. Um, we see this, too, in the, the church's wisdom in requiring that that Catholic weddings, that weddings take place in church. So, you know, there are occasions where people get dispensations to have their church on the beach or, you know, perhaps somewhere else. Um, but for the most part, Catholic weddings are held in church because, again, there's something different um, being in this consecrated space, literally being in the being really present in the real pre- the presence of the real presence. So, you know, having Jesus right over there in the tabernacle as he, you know, exchange vows. There's something actually different and really good about being in that physical church. When, again, when my brother Greg was, was visiting this past week, he um, said mass at my house and then mass at my sister's house one time. And I found myself that the, the the one day he said mass at our house, I was then serving dinner to everybody afterwards. So I thought like, okay, I'll receive the Eucharist. And as everyone's praying, like, you know, post reception of the Eucharist, I'll just run upstairs, make sure I get the casserole out in time so that by the time we finish mass, like dinner's ready. (laughs) And 
It's like, no, when you're in a physical church, you're not thinking about casseroles and getting ready to serve people food. You're focused on, I would be focused more on Jesus than like the next housey thing at hand. Uh, when we were at my sister's house for mass, she, her kids came downstairs one by one. And um, my sister and brother-in-law had had the kids, all the kids like had showered and taken baths and came down, um, you know, to their dining room uh, with dresses and like button down shirts and their hair done. And I thought, nice job, Christy and Jimmy, as I'm sitting there like in my spandex. And um, so it was really impressive how they, you know, reminded their children like, hey, this is different. Um, we're receiving Jesus in the Eucharist. We're celebrating Mass. And even though we're at home, um, there's something different that goes on here. Now, I had come over to my sister's earlier than the rest of my family. And so I'm thinking like, oh, shoot, here I am in like my yoga pants and long sweater and uh, you know, not really preparing as well as I should have. Well, God bless Dan. Dan shows up with our kids and they are in dresses and button down shirts and combed hair. It's like, good job, Dan Doherty. I was the one who missed the memo here. Um, and so I say this to, again, emphasize this line from the catechism that there's there's something different about being in the actual church, okay, when we're, even if we're having the holy sacrifice of the mass in our home in, you know, uh, a, how do you call it? licit manner, an approved manner, um, there's something different than being in an actual actual church. So let's look at paragraph 2179, which says, a parish is a definite, definite community, excuse me, of the Christian faithful established on a stable basis within a particular church. It is the place where all the faithful can be gathered together for the Sunday celebration of the Eucharist. You cannot pray at home as at church, where there is a great multitude, where exclamations are cried out to God as from one great heart, and where there is something more, the union of minds, the accord of souls, the bond of charity, the prayers of the priests. So God in his wisdom, knowing that we as human beings are soul and body, there's something different. He calls us to keep holy the Sabbath by coming to our physical church if, you know, we're able. There are special circumstances where people are not able um, because there's something different there, something that lifts our hearts and minds to God in community um, as others worship, worship God as well. And so to conclude the first half of this episode, I'm just going to uh, highlight a few more paragraphs, which I think beautifully, beautifully illustrate the Beautifully illustrate the beauty of the third commandment. Good job, Becca. Okay. So paragraph 2184 says, human life has a rhythm of work and rest. 2186 goes on to say, Sunday is a time for reflection, silence, cultivation of the mind, and meditation, which furthers the growth of the Christian interior life. So there, there is something being accomplished, something at work here, even as I say, like, you know, it's not a day for to-do lists. God's doing stuff in and through us as we rest, as we put him um, and this this rest first. 2188 says, uh, in respecting religious liberty, the common good of all, Christians should seek recognition on Sundays and the church's holy days as legal holidays. They have to give everyone a public example of prayer, respect, 
and joy and defend their traditions as a precious contribution to the spiritual life of society. So we as Catholics, we as, we as Christians, as we keep holy the Sabbath, we stake this claim, we remind society that this isn't just a private personal practice for me, Rebecca Doherty, but as I pray uh, to the God whom I love, who created me, in communion with my brothers and sisters who also believe and adore and worship this God, um, we are participating in this work that that blesses all of society, whether people believe in it or not. Um, we stand, as we talked in last week's episode about how names are icons for the person, um, this practice of keeping holy the Sabbath, setting aside work, putting God first, is an icon, an image to the rest of society that, hey, we are made for more. Okay? There is more to life than to-do lists, than work, 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 and the pursuit of money, pleasure, etc. It sounds uh, mundane and not that exciting, but as we remain faithful to this commandment, faithful to this weekly practice, um, we are doing great work. You're doing great work, and it's it's a battle. It can be a struggle sometimes, um, especially if you know certain family members aren't practicing, and you're kind of like, okay, come on, guys, let's go. We got to get to church. It's, it's hard to get out the door sometimes, especially with all that's going on. Um, and so, to persevere, to show up each week, is is really doing great battle, a great, heroic, awesome thing. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas talks about how the the heart of patience, so patiently, I just think because I'm in a stage of life with young, young children saying, you know, guys, it's time to get ready for church. Okay, it's time to get in the car. Okay, it's time to go. Okay, it's time to be quiet. It's time to be respectful. Um, patiently bearing with ourselves, with our other family members, um, St. Thomas Aquinas says that the, the heart of patience is courage, getting up and doing it again and again and again, persevering, 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 because it's good and it's what we're made for. It will make us happy, not just in the next life, but in this life. So you are doing great. God bless you. Persevere. Fight the good fight. And um, I pray for blessings upon each of us as we strive to keep holy the Sabbath. So we'll take a brief break and then return on the second half of the episode to read paragraphs 2168 through 2195. Thanks for sticking around. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 2168 through 2195. Article 3, the Third Commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath day. The third commandment of the Decalogue recalls the holiness of the Sabbath. The seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. In speaking of the Sabbath, Scripture recalls creation. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Scripture also reveals in the Lord's day a memorial of Israel's liberation from bondage in Egypt. You shall remember that you are a servant in the land of Egypt. 
and the Lord your God brought you out thence with mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep holy the excuse me to keep the Sabbath day. God entrusted the Sabbath to Israel to keep as a sign of the irrevocable covenant. The Sabbath is for the Lord, holy and set apart for the praise of God, his work of creation, and his saving actions on behalf of Israel. God's action is the model for human action. If God rested and was refreshed on the seventh day, man too ought to rest and should let others, especially the poor, be refreshed. The Sabbath brings everyday work to a halt and provides a respite. It is a day of protest against the servitude of work and the worship of money. The gospel reports many incidents when Jesus was accused of violating the Sabbath law, but Jesus never fails to respect the holiness of this day. He gives this law its authentic and authoritative interpretation. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. With compassion, Christ declares the Sabbath for doing good rather than harm, for saving life rather than killing. The Sabbath is the day of the Lord of mercies and a day to honor God. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Lord's Day. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The Day of the Resurrection, the New Creation. Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. Because it is the first day, the day of Christ's resurrection recalls the first creation. Because it is the eighth day following the Sabbath, it symbolizes the new creation ushered in by Christ's resurrection. For Christians, it has become the first of all days, the first of all feasts, the Lord's Day, Sunday. We all gather on the day of the sun, for it is the first day after the Jewish Sabbath, but also the first day when God separating matter from darkness made the world. And on this same day, Jesus Christ, our Savior, rose from the dead. That's St. Justin who said that. Sunday, fulfillment of the Sabbath. Sunday is expressly distinguished from the Sabbath, which it follows chronologically every week. For Christians, its ceremonial observance replaces that of the Sabbath. In Christ's Passover, Sunday fulfills the spiritual truth of the Jewish Sabbath and announces man's eternal rest in God. For worship under the law prepared for the mystery of Christ, and what was done there prefigured some aspects of Christ. Those who lived according to the old order of things have come to a new hope, no longer keeping the Sabbath, but the Lord's Day, in which our life is blessed by him and by his death. The celebration of Sunday observes the moral commandment inscribed by nature in the human heart to render to God an outward, visible, public, and regular worship as a sign of his universal beneficence to all. Sunday worship fulfills the moral command of the Old Covenant, taking up its rhythm and spirit in the weekly celebration of the Creator and Redeemer of his people. The Sunday Eucharist. The Sunday celebration of the Lord's Day and his Eucharist is at the heart of the Church's life. Sunday is the day on which the Paschal Mystery is celebrated in light of the apostolic tradition and is to be observed as the foremost holy day of obligation in the Universal Church. Also to be observed are the day of the Nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Epiphany, the Ascension of Christ, the Feast of the Body and Blood of Christ, the Feast of Mary, the Mother of God, her Immaculate Conception, her Assumption, the Feast of St. Joseph, the Feast of the Apostles, Saints Peter and Paul, and the Feast of All Saints. This practice of the Christian assembly dates from the beginnings of the apostolic age. The letter to the Hebrews reminds the faithful not to neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but to encourage one another. Tradition preserves the memory of an ever-timely exhortation. Come to church early, approach the Lord, and confess your sins. Repent in prayer. 
be present at the sacred and divine liturgy, conclude its prayer, and do not leave before the dismissal. We have often said, this day is given to you for prayer and rest. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. A parish is a definite community of the Christian faithful, established on a stable basis within a particular church. The pastoral care of the parish is entrusted to a pastor as its own shepherd under the authority of the diocesan bishop. It is the place where all the faithful can be gathered together for the Sunday celebration of the Eucharist. The parish initiates the Christian people into the ordinary expression of the liturgical life. It gathers them together in this celebration. It teaches Christ's saving doctrine. It practices the charity of the Lord in good works and brotherly love. You cannot pray at home as at church, where there is a great multitude, where exclamations are cried out to God as from one great heart, and where there is something more, the union of minds, the accord of souls, the bond of charity, the prayer of the priests. That comes from St. John Chrysostom. The Sunday Obligation. The precept of the church specifies the law of the Lord more precisely. On Sundays and other holy days of obligation, the faithful are bound to participate in the Mass. The precept of participating in the Mass is satisfied by assistance at a Mass, which is celebrated anywhere in a Catholic rite, either on the holy day or on the evening of the preceding day. The Sunday Eucharist is the foundation and confirmation of all Christian practice. For this reason, the faithful are obliged to participate in the Eucharist on days of obligation, unless excused for a serious reason for example, illness, the care of infants, or dispensed by their own pastor. Those who deliberately fail in this obligation commit a grave sin. Participation in the communal celebration of the Sunday Eucharist is a testimony of belonging and of being faithful to Christ and to his church. The faithful give witness by this to their communion in faith and charity. Together they testify to God's holiness and their hope of salvation. They strengthen one another under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. If, because of lack of a sacred minister or for other grave cause, participation in the celebration of the Eucharist is impossible, it is specially recommended that the faithful take part in the liturgy of the Word if it is celebrated in the parish church or in another sacred place according to the prescriptions of the diocesan bishop, or engage in prayer for an appropriate amount of time personally or in a family or, as occasion offers, in groups of families. A day of grace and rest from work. Just as God rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done, human life has a rhythm of work and rest. The institution of the Lord's Day helps everyone enjoy adequate rest and leisure to cultivate their familial, cultural, social, and religious lives. On Sundays and other holy days of obligation, the faithful are to refrain from engaging in work or activities that hinder the worship owed to God, the joy proper to the Lord's Day, the performance of the works of mercy, and the appropriate relaxation of mind and body. Family needs or important social service can legitimately excuse from the obligation of Sunday rest. The faithful should see to it that legitimate excuses do not lead to habits prejudicial to religion, family life, and health. The charity of truth seeks holy leisure. The necessity of charity accepts just work. That's St. Augustine. Those Christians who have leisure should be mindful of their brethren who have the same needs and the same rights, yet cannot rest from work because of poverty and misery. Sunday is traditionally consecrated by Christian piety to good works and humble service of the sick, the infirm, and the elderly. Christians will also sanctify Sunday by devoting time and care to their families and relatives, often difficult to do on other days of the week. Sunday is a time for reflection, 
silence, cultivation of the mind, and meditation which furthers the growth of the Christian interior life. Sanctifying Sundays and holy days requires a common effort. Every Christian should avoid making unnecessary demands on others that would hinder them from observing the Lord's Day. Traditional activities, sport, restaurants, etc., and social necessities, public services, etc., require some people to work on Sundays, but everyone should still take care to set aside sufficient time for leisure. With temperance and charity, the faithful will see to it that they avoid the excesses and violence sometimes associated with popular leisure activities. In spite of economic constraints, public authorities should ensure citizens a time intended for rest and divine worship. Employers have a similar obligation toward their employees. In respecting religious liberty and the common good of all, Christians should seek recognition of Sundays and the church's holy days as legal holidays. They have to give everyone a public example of prayer, respect, and joy, and defend their traditions as a precious contribution to the spiritual life of society. If a country's legislation or other reasons require work on Sunday, the day should nevertheless be lived as the day of our deliverance, which lets us share in this festal gathering, this assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. In brief, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. The Sabbath, which represented the completion of the first creation, has been replaced by Sunday, which recalls the new creation, inaugurated by the resurrection of Christ. The Church celebrates the day of Christ's resurrection on the eighth day, Sunday, which is rightly called the Lord's Day. Sunday is to be observed on the foremost holy day of obligation in the Universal Church. On Sundays and other holy days of obligation, the faithful are bound to participate in the Mass. On Sundays and other holy days of obligation, the faithful are bound to abstain from those labors and business concerns which impede the worship to be rendered to God, the joy which is proper to the Lord's day, or the proper relaxation of mind and body. The institution of Sunday helps all to be allowed sufficient rest and leisure to cultivate their familial, cultural, social, and religious lives. Every Christian should avoid making unnecessary demands on others that would hinder them from observing the Lord's day. This brings us to the end of our reading selection, the end of our episode. Thanks for joining me for another week. Between this week and next week's episode, please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends. And connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, God bless you.